some of the people who sit in these chairs, they just seem to have such faith. Some of the people who sit in these pews, they, they just seem to have such a tangible, deep, abiding faith. Do you ever look around? Look around at some of the people that we sit by every week and go, how do you get a faith like that? When your husband hasn't worked in months, you know there's no more money coming in. Maybe there's enough money to put food on the table, but not even close to enough to pay for rent or electricity or water. But she smiles at adversity. How does that happen? His wife passed away completely unexpectedly. A dear woman of God, loved by everyone who knew her. Yet, it's like his faith, his, his faith is stronger. Where does faith like that come from? Do you ever look and think, I wish I had faith like that. I want to have faith like that, but I just don't think I could ever get there. What I'd like for us to do this morning is we're going to look at three stories. Three stories from the book of Mark. Mark is the, the book that we just started studying. The pastor started us in a study. And the whole book, the, the whole purpose of the book of Mark is Jesus revealing his lordship. Revealing himself for who he is. We're going to look at three stories. One out of Mark 4. The first one we're going to look at is Mark chapter 6 though. Chapter 6 verse 33. And as we look at these stories... I know that there is so much that we can pull out of these, so much that there, there is to be seen that we could talk about. I want us to take more of an, a general overview. And as you look at these stories, simply look at what was going on inside the head of the disciples. Do your very best. One of my favorite things to do with Scripture is try to put myself in that situation, put myself in the context and, and look around and see what's going on, feel the feelings and, and understand the emotions, see what they're seeing, see the colors. See if you can try to wrap your head around what's going on up here in the lives of those disciples. This first story that we're going to see is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Mark chapter 6, verse 33 is where we'll, actually it's 34, verse 34. When Jesus had went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. (laughs) What? And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii and give them something to eat? Every time I see that, their, their response I can't help but see sarcasm in it. 
my wife's um, father, he used to tell me all the time, Jason, sarcasm is the lowest form of humor. I, I, but I, can't, he, I cannot help but see this, this response just soaked in sarcasm. And I don't really know exactly what part of it the sarcasm leaps out of. I don't know if it's, <laughs> shall we go? And, uh, as if we can go over the next hill and there's a Sam's Club. <laughs> I mean, it's evening time. Everybody in that time knew bread's baked in the morning. People buy it. At best, here in evening time, we're going to find leftovers in a mom-and-pop type bakery. Jesus, shall we, shall we go and pick up some bread from Sam's? Oh, wait, we don't have those. <laughs> Not that Sam's would have enough bread for 5,000 people at one given time. Maybe we should go to all the region, Sam's. Costco. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, exactly where would you like for us to go? Shall. shall. Maybe it's them that they're being sarcastic about. Shall. Shall we go? How many of them are there of us, Jesus? One, two, oh, a dozen. How exactly are we supposed to carry back enough food for 5,000 people? Hmm, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know what you're getting at here, but let's get back to reality. <laughs> I mean, this is, Jesus, what you're asking is absurd. Maybe it was the money part. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus uh, shall we go, shall we go and, and spend 200 denarii and give them something to eat? Now, don't, don't think of that number as a number that someone like maybe Matthew sat down and calculated, will we have uh, this many men? Ladies won't eat quite as much probably, so well, they eat less. And then the little squirts, they eat this much. So this plus this plus this, rounded to the nearest tenth, square root times pi. Well, no, no, it was just an outlandish number, something that came out of their mouth. <laughs> a denarii, it's about... The average day's wage. <laughs> Shall we go and spend, I don't know, like a couple hundred denarii day's wages to feed some people a single meal, Jesus? Oh, do, do we have that on us? Do, 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 you, do you see my pocket bulging? Oh, wait. Hmm. Maybe I should run up to Wells Fargo. Oh, we don't have those either. And if we did, I have to rob the thing. Should, should I go rob the bank, Jesus? I don't know exactly where the sarcasm is, but I can't help but see... Maybe it's all of it. <laughs> shall, shall we go and, and spend 200 denarii so that they can have something to eat? I don't know exactly where it is, but, but it, it seems very clear to me what they're thinking is, Jesus, where, where are you? Let's plug back into reality, get into the real world with us. What you're saying is absurd. Come on. Let's send them out. Send them out to the countryside. Send them out to the city. Let's let them get themselves something to eat. Come on, Jesus. Get real. And he said to them, well then, uh, how many loaves do you have? Go see. And they went, and they found out, and they said, five loaves, two fish. Now do you see Jesus? We, we Looking around, you, you see the number of noggins staring at you right now? Armload of food. That's not quite enough for us dozen. Jesus, now, now do you see the absurdity? <laughs> Come on, get real. And he, he commanded them to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fishies and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and he broke the loaves and he kept giving them and kept giving them 
and he kept giving them and he kept giving them and kept giving them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. Well, maybe there's, there's a logical explanation for this. Maybe uh, 4,980-ish said, oh, no, none for me, thanks, really. I'm, I'm stuffed. No, that, that's not what it says, is it? They, they all ate. Okay, well, maybe, maybe they did a meal kind of like we do every once in a while with communion. You know that, that meal we have with the cracker? That, satis- that, that feeling cracker? Well, maybe that's what happened. Maybe they all got a tiny, tiny little piece. Maybe that's how it happened. But that's, that's not what it says either, is it? They all ate. They were satisfied. They ate to the point that they, were, they didn't want any more. They had enough. They were full, satisfied. And just to make sure that everybody was clear, the disciples, how many of those were there? A dozen-ish, is that about right? They ate, they were satisfied, and they picked up 12 full baskets of broken pieces and also of fish. There were about 5,000 there that day. Now, again, if, if you were able to put yourself into that situation, maybe you got to be one of the 12. And, and you saw the absurdity, how, how ridiculously inadequate the amount of food we had was. And then you saw him bless it. And then you saw him hand a handful to John and then hand a handful to Peter and then hand some, some over to James. And then he gave you an armload. And then you went to deliver it. And, and then you got 80 people deep, 200, 1,200 people deep. And you realize all of these people have food in their hands. Where did this come from? Do you, do you see what's happening here? Listen, here, take this. Do you know where this came from? That guy, that guy right over there. That's where it came from. Can you believe this? Do you see that big pile of food? <laughs> Me either. Where does this come from? I, I'll be back. Have what you want. I'll get you some more. Oh my goodness. Where... Can you believe this? Do you see the bakery? Me either. It's all coming from this guy. All of this, it started with an armload of food, a single armload of food. Can you believe what this guy is doing? Can you believe this blows my mind? If you were there, might you be a little excited? A little? What if, what if, after the event, would you ever want something like that to happen again? Would you ever hope something like that would happen again? If you got to walk with this Jesus and another crowd started gathering and you heard a tummy rumble, would your first thought start, be, be, would it be, well, there's, there's the exit road over there and some people can go that way toward that town. Where are these people going to get food? Hmm. Or would it be, oh, I hope he does it again. That last time was amazing. I hope he does it. I hope, I hope he does that. Would that be what you would think? Would you hope that it would happen again? Would you even maybe be a little bit expectant that maybe something like that again would happen? Would you, when the crowd started gathering together, would you cut your eyes over at the other 11 and go, oh, I hope he does it. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing if he did it again? Oh my goodness. I hope he does. That was, blew my mind. I don't know how he did it. I don't care. I just want to see it again. That, oh my goodness. Does that make sense? Would, would, would that be your expectation? 
maybe. That, I feel like that would be me. Well, look at this next story because it did happen again. Mark chapter 8. And again, so much that we could pull out of this text. All I want you to see this time, well, there's more you'll see, but the main thing I would like for you to see is the difference in perspective, the difference in response of these 12 guys. Listen to what it says. In those days, when there was again a large crowd, that again, that sounds like a pretty important word, again. (laughs) Not their first rodeo, is it? They've seen this thing before. Well, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, uh uh-oh, Jesus called his disciples. Oh, <laughs> could, you, could you imagine what it's like being there? <laughs> he's, he's there. You're looking around at the crowds. You hear the rumbly and the tumbly. <laughs> and he calls them together. He's going to do it. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. Oh, my goodness. He's going <laughs> He's going to do that again. I can't believe it. This is exciting. This is amazing. He's going to do it again. Yes. Could you? Does that, does that even seem remotely possible that someone might be a little excited about that? I can't, I can't see any other way. And he said to them, I feel compassion for these people because they've remained with me now for three days. They've eaten all their provisions. They're out of food. And they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. Some of them, they, they've come from a great distance. Earlier in the previous chapter, it talked about some of the great distances they'd come from. Kind of like for us, me strapping on my sandals, tying them up, walking back to my house in Suffolk. Greg, would you enjoy that walk? Yes. And it said some of them were even well beyond that distance, even on on the other side of Richmond. (laughs) Now, I don't do good missing a meal. Ask my wife. Doesn't work well for me. I'll start gnawing on something. I'll, I'll chew on my shoe something. Now, if, if I was hungry and I wasn't going to get to eat until I got back home again on the other side of Richmond after I walked there, I, I might just faint. That might just be me. Not a fainter, but it might happen. They might faint on the way. Some of them, they've come from a great distance. And the disciples answered him, Hmm, Jesus, where will anyone be able to find enough food to satisfy all of these people in this desolate place. Hmm. Jesus. <laughs> Can you see it? Doesn't it just seem so clear? <laughs> He's going to do it. He's going to do it again. <laughs> yes. Doesn't it just make sense? I, I can't see any other way. Well, Jesus asked him, how many loaves do you have? Notice this time he didn't say, go look. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know if, that would be, if, if it were me there, having seen that crowd all come together, hearing the rumblies. And he said, hey guys, come here. I have an idea. I don't know if you, I would be one of those guys that would be looking around. I would want to be the first one to answer the question. How many loaves do you have? I would want to have the answer ready. Pick me, pick me. I know the answer. I know the answer. Pick me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I know, I know. I would already have counted at least a dozen times. One, two, three. Is that one under that lady's arm? Counting it. Four, five, six. How many loaves do they have? Hmm, Jesus, we have uh, seven. Seven, we have seven, Jesus. (laughs) Seven, we have seven. (laughs) I know the answer. (laughs) They didn't go look. He asked, 
they already knew. And, and he didn't tell them to go look. He may have already known what was going on. He saw the giggles. <laughs> and he directed the people to sit down on the ground and took the seven loaves and he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to the disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. And they also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered those to be broken. Uh, he ordered those to be served as well. And they ate, and they were satisfied. And they picked up the seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there that day. Now, again, per- perspective changes everything. If I were one of those people who were on the front row that day, I'm a front row kind of guy. I like to be in flood zone and spit in range. Nice job. Shamu's coming at you. Sorry. But I I like to be on the front row. And had I been there among that 4,000 people, I would have tried to do my very best to get as close to them as I could so I can hear every word, so that I can see everything, so I can recognize every nuance because I like to be among the action, what's going on. I would want to be on the front row. And I I could only imagine had I not seen the last time Jesus had fed 5,000 people with severely inadequate amount of resources, I would hear Jesus talking to his guys. And I would watch John and think, what are you thinking? Seven? Really? Don't be absurd. That's dumb. That's that's not enough, John. Come on. What, What are you thinking? I can only imagine what John would have said. Seven? Oh, come on. The other day we had 5,000 people. We fed him with, they fed, or he fed everybody with five loaves. This is only 4,000. He's got seven. <laughs> More than enough. Don't worry about it. Listen, go make yourself comfortable. Have a seat. I'll be with you in a minute. Can you see it? And he goes and he, he, he delivers. What, what's the difference in perspective of these guys? It's not how close they sat to the front when every time they went to church. It wasn't that they, they went to church every time the doors were open. As great as it is to gather together as a body of believers, it wasn't the, the holy people that were surrounding them that gave them such faith, was it? It wasn't the, the amazingly eloquent sermons that a guy like Pastor Eric, or I guess even better than that, Jesus, was giving. He, although to hear Jesus himself speak, I mean, come on, what could be better than that? But beyond that, where could they get such faith? How could they have such a confidence in, in their Jesus? Doesn't it, isn't it just clear? They've already seen this before. They've seen his lordship. <laughs> They've seen him be the Lord who provides. So why worry? Seven, <laughs> more than enough, more than enough. Why worry? having recognized that Jesus really is Lord, more than just an, 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 uh, a good leader, more than just an ethereal idea, something that I, I can follow. He is the one who is the Lord, the, the provider, the sustainer, the one who makes all things happen. He's the one who can bring nothing out of, or something out of nothing. He's the Lord. And if he is the Lord, what have I to fear? What have I to worry? Nothing. <laughs> In fact, that's Exactly where Peter landed just a little while after the second time, this, this second story. Jesus had gotten together, hanging out with some of his guys. And he said, who do people say I am? And then he looks to Peter. Do you remember this? He says, who do you say that I am? 
Peter, very simply, having already recognized by his own experiences, having already seen Jesus prove himself, reveal himself, he knew. You're the one. You're, you're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one that the prophets said were going to come hundreds of years ago. You're the one we've been waiting for, hoping for, longing for. You're the one. You are the one who is the Lord of all things. You are the one. You are Jesus, the one who is Lord of all. I know who you are. <laughs> Can you see it? I want you to see one more story. One more story. This one's back before those feeding things happened before the open buffet. Mark chapter 4. Now again, they had already seen Jesus do some pretty impressive stuff. They had already seen him, him as he taught. And, and the way they explained it was this guy, when he teaches, it's, it's with an authority unlike anything I've ever seen. And he had already seen him walk up and, and lay his hands on someone and a person who had been paralyzed for their life and all of a sudden be made whole. He, he had seen them, him, people walk up and, and touch him and be completely healed of, of diseases that was clearly evident and all of a sudden they're made real, made whole. And I'm not talking about a Benny Hinn walk up and, oh, be healed, and somebody falling over and uh, not an act, not a game. People that had seen these people live next door to these crippled people who all of a sudden were walking for the first time. They had seen it. The disciples had already seen this. So in the context of recognizing, they had already seen him do some pretty amazing stuff. And Mark chapter 3, the chapter just before, gives a summary statement that there were people coming from far and wide. And early in chapter 3, you'll see it names some of those far and wide from all over coming because they, they wanted to just get close enough to touch the robe, the hem of his garment, believing that they could be healed because there were just so many people that were being healed. Uh, John, the very last verse in the entire book, last chapter, last verse, John summarizes it in this way. He says, if I were to write down in detail every amazing thing that Jesus has done, I suppose there would not be enough books in the world. The world could not contain the amount of books that would have to be written. They had already seen him do some, some shockingly amazing things. Now look at this, look at this story. It's in uh, chap- verse 35, chapter 4. It's the storm story. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, he took, or they took him along with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. You're coastal people. You know about waves. You know what a crashing wave means. You know you've probably been in the water before when you completely didn't expect a wave to crash on you. You remember that power, and you know that if you're not ready, it can take you. You know that. You tell your kids before they get in the water, you better be careful. Those waves will take you and nobody will ever see you again until you get to Cuba. You know. Well, what they have just described is not waves that are going up and down, up and down in the boat, boat tossing to and fro, and then getting a little queasy on the inside and having to lean over the boat. Uh-uh. It said these waves are crashing over the edge of the boat. Now, some of these guys, 
they weren't as familiar with boats. Some of them, they, they'd been in boats all of their lives. They were professionals. The, um, James, John, Peter, the, these guys, their whole lives had been around boats. They knew what they were doing. Some of them, like Matthew, a uh, tax collector, probably didn't spend quite as much time in a boat. Could you imagine what's going on inside the head of Matthew as those waves come crashing into the boat and the water pushes everything to the sides of the boat and works its way out. You're looking around going, we are going down. And even more, when Matthew looks into the eyes of the professionals and sees sheer panic, when he sees them panicking, oh my goodness, we are going down. We are all gonna die right here, right now. There's nothing we could do. There's, there's no pause button for this one. This is not a, hey, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my bill this month. This is, I am dying. The boat's going down. We're dead. We're done. Oh no, th- this is far more than, I- I've been to the doctor and the doctor just said, I've been diagnosed with, with the C word. I hope the radiation helps. I hope the chemo helps. I, I hope that in surgery, they take everything. No, it's a, it is, the waves are crashing in. The boat is going down. They are in the process of death. The, the thoughts in their head are, I didn't tell my mom goodbye. I didn't tell my dad I loved them. There isn't time for that. I am dying. Oh no. And they rush down into the boat and Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing here? How can you be sleeping? Dude, don't you see what has happening? We're dying. What are you, how can you be sleeping at a time like this? The page got turned. Well, Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up. And he rebuked the wave, or the wind. And he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down. And it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Look at verse 41. Look at their response. When, when they were terrified to the, because they knew, I mean, terrified because death was just washing down on them. And Jesus says, Why are you afraid? Listen to their response. And they became even more afraid. Who is that guy? The wind and the waves just obeyed him. More than a prophet. More, more, more than a king. Who? I can't imagine what was going on for the next 15 minutes in the boat. Were they all on one side just staring? What was it like as they stepped off of that boat and they were realizing who it was right behind them? Where, where do you get such, such, such faith, such confidence in Christ? How do you get that? We saw in the story of the two times when, they, when he fed a multitude of people. It seems only clear that they were excited about the clear inadequacy of what they had to provide. I, I, I can't help but wonder as they walked along the seaside from time to time and, and they felt a little wind kick up, if they would kind of hope a little bit on the inside, I hope he tells us to get in the boat again. 
hope we go out into the middle of water, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night. <laughs> I would love to see that again. Do you think their perspective might be a little different? Do you think maybe, maybe they, were it to happen again, would, would they be on the boat? Look at that one. Wow, that is one big wave. Woo! <laughs> had they had the second opportunity to be there, do you think they would be afraid? Would it matter how tall the waves got? Would it matter how, how fierce the wind was? I can't imagine that it would matter at all. I wonder if they would even laugh at such, such ridiculousness. <laughs> how could we? Well, to them, I guess it wasn't ridiculous at all. In fact, their, their faith wasn't some reckless abandonment. It was just a clear recognition I know who's in the boat. At worst, the wind's going to kick up. At worst, the wave's going to toss us around. At worst, it's going to cause him to move. The whole book of Mark, from beginning to end, it's all about one thing. Every single verse, every single part, it's all about Jesus revealing himself for who he is. Do you see the disciples through their own eyes? Do you see how they're discovering the Jesus who is? Recognizing in a real way his lordship, not just his ability to cause a religious movement and and people to come and and sing songs about him. No, I mean the Lord of real circumstances, the Lord of, of, of the ones that are absurd. Do you see that? The entire Bible, in fact. If you're from from very beginning, very first opening words in Genesis to the very last words in Revelation 22, they're all pointing to the same thing. This it's a whole lot more than a rule book, more than a moral guide. It's a whole lot more than, than the history of God's interaction with his creation. Every single word, every part is pointing to him. From the Old Testament, from the centuries of old, it is all looking forward saying, do you know who he is? The promised one, the coming Messiah, Lord of all. It doesn't matter how big the armies are. It doesn't matter how impossible the situations are. He is Lord of all. What else matters? And then in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it says, this one who is, who is walking with you right now, he is Lord of all. And then every book afterwards, Acts all the way to Revelation, points back. Did you see who that was? Do you see who that is? The Lord of all. And if that's true, if every single part of Mark and every single part from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it all is about the centrality of Jesus Christ in the universe and in all things. Does it make sense? Wouldn't it make sense that the entire reason I'm here is a lot more than to be a faithful employee hopefully get my three and a half percent raise. Wouldn't it make sense that, it, that, that I'm here for more than just to be a good person, to be, to be an example, more than to be a good dad, to be a faithful wife, 
More than just to be, it's, it's all, all about Jesus. His entire plan, his entire purpose for my life is the same one as it is for everything else. That he wants to prove his lordship right here in you. His plan is to show the severe, ridiculous inadequacy of everything else around you. He wants to show, he plans to reveal his lordship to all of creation. How can you have such faith? How can you be confident in that Jesus like that? Very simple. Isn't it clear? Isn't it simple that from the, from the, the experiences of my own life, if you're walking with Christ, the experiences of my own life, I have already been able to see God's faithfulness, his clear lordship over all things. His desire to be, for me to be kind of like a city, on top of a hill, completely, unmistakably clear for him to reveal his glory in you. To reveal his lordship so that the entire world knows, so that the entire world desires, longs for the God that you worship. Does it make sense? If your friends, if your neighbors, if your coworkers, if, if, if the people in your class tomorrow morning were to see a Jesus that's more than just a religious idea, if they were to see the Lord who is, the one who is above all things, showing himself, proving himself in a very practical way through you, would they want something like that? Would there be thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of, of people who would, who would long for something like that? He's more than just a religious idea. He is. He is the Lord who is the Lord of all things in your life. Not I hope you're not missing me here. Not the one who might show his lordship in your circumstances. Mm -mm. He is the one who is already the Lord of your circumstances. Having walked with him a little bit already, having seen his faithfulness throughout the generations, doesn't it only make sense that as the waves crash, and the winds press by fiercely, as the circumstances are clearly overwhelming, that it becomes easy to celebrate. <laughs> Look at that one. That's huge. <laughs> because I know who's in the boat. And at worst, it's going to cause him to move. <laughs> at worst, it's going to cause him to move. <laughs> if Jesus really is Lord, if Jesus is the Lord of all that is, if he is Lord, what else matters? What else matters? I can't think of anything either. And that makes me wonder... Uh, Looking at these three different stories, these three different events that the disciples experienced, 
where do I find myself? Where, where do I relate the easiest? Where, where do you see yourself? Are you one who maybe in the second time they, they fed the 4,000? You recognize the inadequacy in your life. You, you recognize, but you also recognize who you're with. Are you one who gets to celebrate the impossible? If you are, I want to call you, I want to challenge you as your faith response to him to simply do that, to celebrate who he is, his lordship in your life. <laughs> because as he is Lord, what else matters? What does, does it really matter what they say? Does it matter what, what your boss would do? Does it matter that it's, 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 it's what he's calling you to do, where he's calling you to go? Does it matter that it's absurd? I guess not. Maybe you, you see yourself in the first time they, that he fed 5,000. You see your resources. You see what's available to you. You know what he's calling you to do. But up until here, you look at five loaves and you look at two fish and you go, Jesus, that's a stupid business move. Not doing that. Can't. You gave me a brain and I'm going to use it. So I'm not going to listen to you right now. I, I, I see what I have. Jesus, don't be absurd. I can't. Maybe you're more in the boat. Your situation is a little more urgent. You haven't worked for a while. It's been tough. Maybe your response is simply to recognize that <laughs> Your faith response that it doesn't matter how tall they are. It doesn't matter how much they crashed. It doesn't even matter the, 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 the overwhelming urgency of the moment. But it's to simply recognize that he is in the boat. If he's in your life, to recognize nothing really, else, nothing else matters. Maybe you're here with a friend. Maybe you're, you're here with a neighbor. You, you, you've taught, thought about Jesus before. Maybe even read a few of these verses. Prayed a few times. But to you, you're recognizing, you're thinking, Jason, what I need to do is make a, a first faith response. I recognize it. It makes sense. It's clear. I see him for who he is. He is the Lord of all. I, I want him in my life. I want a relationship with him. Maybe God's call on your life, what he's speaking into your life is simply to say, God, I've tried it my way. I'm going to put down my plan. I'm going to put down my ideas. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to turn from myself. And from now on, I'm just going to trust you and trust you only because you are Lord. So I want to give myself to you, that Lord. What is God's call in your life? Hasn't he created you for far more 